Are you a hybrid athlete who wants to learn more about how to combine your strength and endurance training? Well, I've written a new book, The Science of Hybrid Training. In this book, I provide insight into the misconceptions surrounding strength and endurance training by distilling the past 50 years of research and drawing on the conversations I had with great scientists, coaches, and athletes on the Progress Theory podcast. This book is essential reading for hybrid athletes and coaches who are looking to understand the key training variables and their effect on the simultaneous development of strength and endurance performance. Get your copy now, available to buy from Amazon. Now, let's get into the show. Hello, everyone. The Progress Theory is back with more legends. This time, I speak with elite CrossFit athlete and medical doctor, Dr. Karis Webster. Now, I've wanted to get Karis on the Progress Theory for quite some time now. And I see on her Instagram that not only is she training to be an elite level CrossFit athlete, she's working in ITU for 12 to 13 hours at a time and studying for a master's in sport and exercise medicine. Like seriously, when does she have the time to fit this all in? Well, that's what this episode is trying to find out. She's an incredible and inspirational athlete and I know you'll love this episode. So let's crack on with the episode. As always, follow us on Instagram at The Progress Theory, like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, and also go back and download all of our other episodes of The Progress Theory. So, this is the next Legend Series episode. This is Dr. Karis Webster. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Oh, thank you so much for coming on to the, the podcast. So, I've followed you on Instagram for, for quite some time, as I was trying to learn a bit more about CrossFit in the UK. Yeah, And with that, I just noticed that, oh, that's quite interesting that you're at the top end of UK CrossFit training like two to three hours a day, it seems, and still working your full-time job, which is very much in the hospital, like 12 to 14 hours a day, it seems. And I was like, how did she do it? And then all of a sudden I saw in your, I think I messaged, didn't I, saying, oh, which course it was, because I saw that you'd started a master's. Yeah. So how do you, you must be so good at balancing all of this to fit this all in because you're not just busy, you're improving in every aspect. So I was like, how do you do it? So I feel like I've got to get you on this podcast. Yeah. So I'm, so I'm working part-time at the moment. So that helps. So I'm working part-time in intensive care and then I train. So I, I normally work a, two long days a week. So that's two like 13 hour shifts a week. So I don't train on those days. And then I train the other five days, double sessions, like you say. And then, yeah, I started uh, a master's in September this year, or sorry, September 2020, because don't want to get too bored. So yeah. And then I do that kind of in between training. It's part-time master's over two years. So a couple of modules each semester to keep on top of. Mm. Where was that again? I couldn't remember the the university that you signed up to. Uh, It's at Queen Mary. Yeah. In East London. Mary. Okay. What was the, aside from constantly wanting to challenge yourself and <laughs> stop getting bored. What was the reason you signed up for the MSC? So my specialty is anaesthetics. I've done my anaesthetics core training, but I was unsure if I wanted to carry on in anaesthetics. Mm. Just like I find some of it really interesting. Like I really like the physiology side of things, but I'm not sure if sitting in a operating theatre by myself for the next 30 years is really what I want to be doing. So I took a year out to concentrate on or I took a year working part-time to train more and concentrate on CrossFit and then during that time 
to be honest, I didn't know that sports and exercise medicine existed as a specialty. So during that time, I discovered that was a specialty that you could do so you can go into NHS training in sports and exercise medicine. So I discovered that and decided that might be something that I was interested in. And I thought the master's would be a good way of making that decision, whether that was actually what I wanted to do long term. So I signed up and I'm really enjoying it so far. And what kind of directions could you take that? Because I'm guessing there's going to be, it's still going to be in line with your work at the hospital. But how can you use that particular knowledge set that you'll get from the master's? What options are there to pursue? Yeah, so my plan, if kind of everything goes to plan, is to apply Mm. for the Sports and Exercise Medicine Specialty Training Scheme, which would be starting in 2022. And that's five years of registrar training before you then become a consultant. And that's, it's a real mix. It's clinics, it's A&E, there's some work with sports teams. So yeah, it's all inclusive and really interesting. Mm. So it's a really wide range of the population that you'll have access to to work with. So if you're working with sports teams, athletes, If you're still in the hospital, you could be working with, I'm assuming like paediatrics all the way up to, or I guess the elderly, but it depends on how active the elderly are. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And there's quite a big part of it was also to do with health and exercise promotion. So in the NHS at the moment, there's not very much exercise prescription and that kind of Mm. things for early diabetes and metabolic disorders. So there's quite a big focus on that as well and integrating that with GPs and that kind of thing to try and get that more commonly done in the NHS. Your time since really developing in CrossFit, has that led to this passion for exercise physiology and the application of sort of sport and how it can improve health? Uh, and that's why I was like, okay, I've done my medical training, but I want to utilise my hobby more into what I'm doing. What made you go down the direction of anesthetics in the first place and yeah what started the medical career yeah so I mean I've always been very sporty like through school I was you know one of those people I played every sport was on every sport team I did a level PE so and then played netball through uni so I've always done that but then I don't think I I mean firstly I didn't realize like I it's not advertised very well or it's quite a new specialty and there's not very many jobs nationwide so I didn't really know that it existed mm. so I went for anesthetics because there is that kind of physiology side which I find really interesting which is the especially the exercise physiology and that was my area of focus so that's why I went for the anesthetics because that was the closest way I could think of working that into a job but then as I was going through my core training in anesthetics people would ask me oh so what bit of anesthetics do you want to specialize in and I'd start talking about exercise physiology and they'd be is that a thing can you make that a job do you mean like preoperative optimization or and I I never really it never really clicked that to find exactly what it was that I wanted to do so then when I yeah when I started reading more about it and I guess through CrossFit as well, because there is that quite big kind of goal of CrossFit is promoting exercise as health. I think that kind of in combination probably led me down that route. Yeah, it's it's such a shame that now sport is everywhere and we see the application and how we can utilise it and how it influences so many different professions. Whereas I was in the same boat as you. My original A-levels were tailored so I could do meteorology, like study weather, because I hadn't heard anything about the application of doing something like doing a PEA level and then taking it further. So I didn't choose yeah. it originally. And then when I realized about halfway through my S levels, I was like, oh, actually, that's the direction I want to go. I managed yeah. to change it over. But uh, yeah, so imagine that sort of what's around now 
was around when going through were you making decisions like what to do for your ALS levels yeah professions are uh, expanding aren't they and sport is seeping into and health is sort of seeping into every profession so it's bringing up more opportunities and allowing people to have their hobbies as part of their profession as well so yeah hopefully it gives people more options in the future as well and they don't just get led down a road because that's what they thought they were meant to be doing yeah yeah of course so you like you said at school you were one of those played all of the sports what led you to then start crossfit so it was after my first year of working as a doctor i moved i moved house to to a place in hammersmith and so my aunt had Done, my aunt does CrossFit, so I'd heard about it through her. But it was, oh, there's this thing called CrossFit. Like, they don't train in a gym. They train in a box, and there's no mm-hmm. mirrors and all this stuff. And uh, I guess I, it sounded interesting. And I'd just been, like, I joined a netball club, and I was just doing, like, hit classes in, in a normal gym. And I was getting a bit bored of that, wasn't finding it particularly interesting or stimulating. So when I moved house, CrossFit Hammersmith was literally, like, three minutes around the corner from where I lived. So I just sent them an email joined up and never really looked back just got addicted pretty quickly and started to improve and that was it like right at the end of 2015 that I started and I was like brand new never done any Olympic lifting never really touched a barbell never done any gymnastics so it just shows anyone can start Mm. and if you work hard enough you can get pretty far. What was it about CrossFit that made you so addicted so quickly? I don't know I mean I think Compared to a normal gym, like the fact that everyone actually talks to each other Mm. and you make friends and like you go on socials and everyone's cheering each other on, this kind of social aspect I think is really important. And then I think there's also the learning new things. Here's something you've never snatched before and suddenly you can snatch an empty barbell and then you can snatch 25 kilos. And I think that's addictive as well, that seeing that if you put the effort in that you make progress. Yeah. yeah, yeah, certainly. I, I can imagine like most fitness gyms are such charisma voids, aren't they? They're like vacuums, except for there's a group of guys that will meet every Monday with vests and gloves. It's so stereotypical. So then all of a sudden, yeah. CrossFit came, has had this box where they developed this community. And it's amazing just how many other facilities are opening up, copying, yeah. might not following the same philosophy, but they're trying to gain the same aspects of utilizing community to bring in members and keep members. And, yeah, 100%. And because technically going to the gym is still part of your leisure time. It's not part of your job for most people. So it's, it's a bit weird where you are, originally you went to the gym to go somewhere that didn't have that kind of community. So... Yeah, it's amazing what, what they've done. As yeah. like a, they call it a methodology, don't they? So what's the aim with CrossFit? Because you're at the elite level now and you competed at strength and depth. Yeah. I remember watching that. And so, I mean, that's pretty cool competing with all the elite uh, level athletes. And, and I'm assuming most of the athletes are there are pretty much full-time athletes. Yeah, I think full time or a lot of them coach like in yeah. CrossFit gyms, so they're there all day. Yeah, they run a class, they train themselves. They run another class, they train themselves. So yeah, exactly. So where do you see the CrossFit going? What are the goals with CrossFit? I think it's difficult to say. I would say particularly this year because, like, I haven't competed since 
February last year. So I did two sanctionals last year. I did strength and depth and then I did Norway. And then I haven't competed since then. Mm. So I don't know if everyone else feels the same, but I feel like I have absolutely no idea where I stand at the moment because there's only like Instagram to compare to and everyone only posts their good stuff on Instagram. (laughs) So I think the Open will be a really good help to see where I am against other people in the UK, against other people in the world, see if or how much I've improved since, because the last Open was a year and a half ago now. So it'll be really nice to see what the progress is like from then. And then they're changing the whole season again anyway. So <laughs> so we've got the Open and then we've got the quarterfinals, which I think is the top 10%. So I, like, hopefully I should uh, qualify relatively easily for that. That'll be online as well. So it's Yeah, so it's a day. weekend in April where they yeah. said, I think it's like a Thursday to a Monday, there'll be a number of events over that weekend that you have to do. And then from there, there'll be the semifinals, but we have no idea how many people qualify for that. So <laughs> it's hard to know, hard to, hard to say what the goal is when we don't know yet what it looks like. <laughs> is that part of the excitement or is that frustrating because you're like, oh, I want to plan for this and you're not giving me all the information I need? <laughs> But also, I think if this year has taught us anything, it's that there's no point in planning because everything can change at the very last minute anyway. So for me, like I just, I keep training, I keep doing what my coach tells me to do. And then hopefully at some point I'll be allowed back on the competition floor to show what I've been working on. Yeah. So who who is your coach and what kind of stuff have they been focusing on recently? Uh, So my coach is Phil Mansfield from Red Pill Training. And at the moment, we are open build, so open prep. So the last probably, we're six weeks out now from the open. So probably for the last six weeks, we've been slowly building up and then it'll carry on for the next six weeks and then we'll see where we are. Have they got like a their own programming methodology that they use, which is different from other coaches? Because the way I want to describe it is within CrossFit, a lot of the coaches get quite a lot of slack for are oh, they just program very generally no one really truly improves but there does seem to be several groups of crossfit coaches who seem to be very good and whenever an athlete gets involved with them they really start to improve you start to notice them on the competition stage and red pill seem to be one of those groups uh, what do you think about them has made them so successful so i think so phil and james Dowsey are the two kind of owners of it and they both have a lot of experience not just in CrossFit so they've both so Phil's coached cycling weightlifting Joust used to play for Man United and coaches works with a lot of footballers Hmm. so I think there's that experience which brings I think sometimes CrossFit it shoots itself in the foot by people not acting like professional athletes and that means that they're not treated like professional athletes Mm. Whereas I think coming from other sports where that professionalism is deeply ingrained, I think that really helps and it helps with kind of competition prep and like the build up to competition. And then they do, they're also really well known for their biomechanics work. So when you first sign up to start working with them, so I went, Phil lives in Denmark, I went to go and stay with him. He did a few days full biomechanical assessment of how I moved. And then you do six months of just doing lunges. And then, so yeah, so I think, exactly. Yeah, really seeing where the weaknesses are. And I think they don't, 
like if you're doing a workout and they see something that you're not doing right, they won't tell you to change it. They'll write something into the program which teaches you to change it. And I think that is a really positive way of coaching. Yeah, it sounds very exploratory. And the best way you're going to get retention from an athlete is if they discover it themselves rather than being told, certainly. So it sounds like a really good method of, of coaching. It seems to be very successful as well. Yeah, with your... yeah I've improved massively since working with them. So. Yeah. How long have you been working with them? Um, since just after the first Open in 2019. So like a year and a half, nearly two years in April. Mm. Yeah. How have they found it? programming during the lockdown because i saw that you set up a gazebo in your garden for quite a bit and that's the only way you could have got the space to do a lot of the barbell movements that sort of thing what kind of changes did they have to make to try and (laughs) cater for such an extreme circumstance yeah so i mean i just like i sent phil a list of the all the equipment i had and we yeah at the beginning of the first lockdown obviously it was less and then i slowly built up i got a pull-up bar installed on my house um, so nice. yeah and then he just worked around that based on what I told him that I had and what I could do so we did our best and it seems to seems to have been okay they seem to develop a very good like coach athlete relationship because you're so interested in exercise physiology do they often sort of bring you into their decision making when it comes to programming aerobic work and how that links with the more anaerobic stuff that you do across it i think it depends like when i'm when so when i first went to go and see phil he asked do you want to know like when i'm looking at what I'm, when i'm looking at you do you want mm. to know what i'm seeing or do you want me to just tell you what to do and i was like no i want to know so yeah he talks through it and then if i ask it doesn't necessarily say like day to day exactly what the underlying reasons for every workout is but if i ever want to ask or have any questions then yeah they're quite open always good for that regarding your interest in exercise physiology you've started a blog on exercise physiology what was the aim of the blog is it just to get your ideas down and sort of express yourself and sometimes it's best to get things out on paper isn't it yeah to be honest i just did it to start with out of kind of interest because my first blog i think it was about nasal breathing and i'd just seen a load of people like it, there was a little like period of time where everyone was going around doing their walk warm-ups with a bit of tape over their mouth <laughs> and they looked a bit silly and i wanted just to see whether there was any actual scientific reasoning behind it so that's why i did the first one and then yeah it's just been topics that i've been interested in maybe i've like I heard about on another podcast and I wanted to do a bit more reading into or someone's asked me a question about and I wanted to put my ideas all in one place. So yeah, it's a mix. It's interesting you said about one of the reasons why you chose nasal breathing as your first topic was because you can see certain areas get popular on social media and then certain accounts get popular and the way they speak and the certain language that they use gets popular. So yeah, I, I can really sort of see that. I'm still trying to I mean, I'm a biomechanist, not a physiologist, so I try and understand. I use physiology as like a, not a hobby, but it's good to have a sound understanding because physiology comes into play so much with biomechanics. Yeah. And working and trying to understand the popularity around nasal breathing has been quite interesting because you just see everyone's approaches and you think, how have you interpreted the information's out there? And then you think, okay, well, take a step back. Where did they get the information from? Because there's some great stuff out there books was it Patrick McCowan his stuff and Andrew Nestor as well and you start to think okay but they're not the only ones providing information on this you think okay where's everyone getting their information 
Yeah. It's, uh, it's quite an interesting. That's why it's quite nice from someone like yourself with a background of ex- exercise physiology and you, you write as if you're explaining your ideas rather than saying, this is what I think is true. And I think that yeah. brings about a really good openness, which helps with understanding rather than people just sort of like memorizing bits and then passing it on. Yeah, I try to come to things like with quite an open mind and look for the evidence both for and against. Because I don't like with something like nasal breathing, there's never going to be a, oh, it definitely doesn't help. Like it's stupid. So I think you do have to, yeah, you have to look at things from a balanced point of view and see there must be a reason why people are doing it. So what is that reason? Is it actually a valid reason? Has there been enough research on it to make people use it basically so Mm. yeah went from there with other topics similar to that I guess stuff that's either been popular as you say on social media like the one on CBD and then other things that I'm just Mm. interested in so I think my most recent one was on about overreaching and overtraining and that was just out of pure interest no I think it's really cool and you I've read a few of your posts and you synthesize research really quite well I'm sure I saw a recent post by you I think it was on your story where someone had taken a systematic review I think it was in an area of nutrition and they've either misinterpreted the results or they have deliberately misinterpreted to try and portray a certain message and I think that can get really dangerous so it's always good that people are not necessarily calling out but people have that openness and understanding that actually here is some information that you can take into account and, you know it's not telling you what to do but it's providing some answers and allowing you some knowledge to go look further uh, yeah i, I think what that post was it was a study on adolescent girls with anorexia and what body fat percentage they regained their periods with mm. and then the post was just saying that if you have a body fat percentage less than this then you're infertile basically, but that you had to have a body fat percentage less than that in order to have abs. So it basically just implied that anyone who had abs was infertile without any kind of reference to what the systematic review was actually looking at. And I think posts like that, people just tend to like repost and repost on their stories. Like they see a good infographic and they repost it without anyone ever reading the the study that it was based on. So I just wanted to highlight the fact that the study was not anything to do with athletes or healthy individuals. It was quite a biased look and yeah. people should bear that in mind. <laughs> and that's so dangerous. It really is that's so dangerous, especially because it's so obvious there's so many different factors involved with that particular issue. And having an infographic or at least a bit more of a caption which can explain why there's so many different issues can easily remove the, the bad message that post had. So it's a shame yeah. that they that's what they went for rather than actually let's let's look at this a little bit more deeply. They went for yeah. the quick, quick attention grab. <laughs> exactly. If people actually looked into it in more detail and explained like a solid argument, then that's fine and that's fair enough. But it's when people just post the headline that <laughs> yeah, yeah. things get difficult. So I put out on social media for questions anyone that wanted to ask you any questions. And one of the common things that came up regularly was how do you manage to balance all of these different things, like your work, your training, and now your master's. And obviously there's going to be some work-life balance there as well. What's your recommendations for anyone that wants to push 
push in a in a similar way, but feels like oh, it might get a bit overwhelming. Like, how do you balance it all? Like good time management, being really organised is probably the most important thing for me. Like my days when I'm at work, that's just I'm at work. I don't do anything else. It's thirteen hours. Like by the time I get up, have breakfast, go to work, come home, I go straight to bed, and that's my day done. So then I have to take advantage of the days when I'm not at work. So I guess when I'm not at work, like I'm still, I'm up at seven o'clock. I'm in the gym by eight, half eight, and I get my morning training done. And then I do my master's work over lunchtime. So get a good like two, three hours then of work done if I need to. And then I go back to the to train in the afternoon, do my afternoon session, and then have my like life time in the evening after dinner. So I think it's just about that. It's about having a plan sticking to it there's no yeah there's no like lying until 10 o'clock in the morning and <laughs> um you put it in yeah exactly you've you've got a got your gym bag packed you've got your food ready you've, you know what you're doing that day I think yeah that's probably the the most important thing and just there's no I never question whether I'm going to do that I'm just do it like people often ask about like motivation. How do you motivate yourself to go to the gym every day? How do you train that much? I don't really think about it like that. I just, that's, I've got my training written down and that's what I'm going to do that day. That's just, it's almost as if you have to go to work. So you're going to go to work. Like mm. I have to do that training. So I'm going to do that training. Consistency yeah. and discipline. Is it quite nice that like you've got your work days and because you don't have to worry about fitting anything else around them, it's okay. Move those days out the way. Okay, let me design the rest of the week. Uh, and from that, because you've been doing, you've got two sessions, morning, afternoon. Okay, there's a space there. You've found a routine. And once you've done it for like a week or two, it becomes habitual. And then all of a sudden, it's just, it's easy to be consistent because it's like you said, well, it's just what I do. Yeah, exactly. I think it's like once you've got that structure, that's just, yeah, that's what you're going to do actually think it's harder when you come away from that structure so like over the Christmas holidays I was like oh I'm gonna do all my training in the mornings because my boyfriend was off work so I was like and then we can spend the afternoon together like for this week or whatever and it just (laughs) uh, having like a being thrown off schedule just for the first couple of days I was like a bit like oh what am I doing do I have time to fit everything in once you've got that schedule and you stick to it things are easy it's when things get thrown off plan that you uh, it gets a bit more difficult but (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's like, don't affect my routine. Keep the routine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know that feeling, that agitated <laughs> feeling you get when something's just like one of the one of the questions also commented regarding like how much rest you get based on like how busy your day must be. I'm in bed at nine, ten o'clock, and I if I need seven, eight hours, it's easy to get because I just go to the bed at the same time every every night. Yeah. Um I like I generally don't have a problem with getting to sleep so yeah I'm in bed half nine ten and then yeah I get up at seven so or uh, earlier if I'm working but seven on a like a training day so yeah I had like during the first wave of COVID I started struggling with sleep like just not getting to sleep but waking up really early in the morning so that was quite difficult but then that seems to have improved it's not so bad this wave so yeah and then Obviously, the days that I'm working are rest days from training. And then the days that I'm training are like rest days from the psychological stress of being at work. Kind of balances each other out. Yeah, of course. Yeah. One of the other questions we had was from KLD CrossFit. 
And, and they said, do you feel from the lockdown you have lost any strength or engine? Uh, and if not, how? So I think everyone sees like how much effort you've put in and the changes that you had to make by training at home during the lockdown, but still see that you're making such good progress. So I think people are curious as to, wow, how did you do that? And do you perceive it to have been a successful training period despite it being different? Yeah, so I think during the first lockdown, we very much did like a strength cycle. So I was lucky enough, I've got like a barbell and a squat rack and I've got 150 kilos of weights, which one of my friends very kindly lent me and then eventually sold to me. So I was really lucky in that. Mm. So yeah, we did a big strength cycle with, because I didn't have a pull-up bar initially as well. So we were doing a lot of strict gymnastics using the squat rack with the bar across as like strict pull-up bar. So yeah, that was quite nice. I PB'd back squat and squat clean and all sorts during that time, minimised the kind of CrossFit style wads, just because there weren't any competitions to be aiming for. We didn't know when the next thing was going to be. So there wasn't really any point in maintaining that kind of competition fitness side of things during that time. And then, yeah, since I guess we were then aiming towards the open in October, so started doing a little bit of a ramp up then. And then obviously that got moved. So went back to more general training and then just recently have been ramping up to the open again. But no, I think I've just, I've been really lucky with the equipment that I have at home and the fact that I did just, I just sent Phil my list of equipment and he, he programmed for me as normal. So I was training just as much as normal with a few modifications but no I don't think I lost any strength based on that like I sometimes like it when stuff around me starts to take away decisions so it becomes very easy you can only control what you can control no point worrying about controlling the uncontrollables so as a similar way like I focused more on strength during the initial lockdown because that's what I had access to and then it it made me what you were saying made me think because Typically in an off-season, if you've got no competition in the near future, you probably wouldn't be really hammering the, the CrossFit-specific fitness. So you would ease up on that. So my question to you is, which cycle do you prefer? Do you prefer off-season or do you prefer sort of pre-competition ramp-up? I love the pre-competition ramp-up. Like that feeling of doing huh. a workout and feeling fit is like the best feeling. Like feeling like you've done everything and you've given it your best and you're like a complete mess at the end yeah that's Mm -hmm. I love that so for me like strength doesn't come so naturally to me I have to work very hard at it like I have very long limbs so (laughs) squats are not my favorite so yeah for me yeah I love a good just give it everything you've got workout hopefully one day I'll feel that I'll experience that feeling of feeling fit (laughs) (laughs) yeah so just to sort of finish up Uh, Are there any companies that you're working with that you might want to promote? I know that you're sponsored with CNP. Is that right? Yes, I've been working with CNP for probably a couple of years now. They are a supplement company. So I don't take a huge amount of supplements. I take uh, like a multivitamin, omega-3 in the morning, creatine and protein. And that's pretty much it. But they cover all those bases. So yeah, that's the, the main one that I work with. And they're a really great company. They're based in Manchester. So they have their factory there as well. Yeah. Mm. No, that's cool. It's great to have the support of a supplement company when you need quick and easy food to supplement training twice a day, certainly. so Yeah, exactly. If someone wanted to get in contact with you who had any questions around CrossFit, 
or exercise physiology or anything like that, uh, how would they get in contact? The best place is probably on Instagram, at Karis Webster. The kind of ease of having a weird name means that I don't have to add any numbers after it. So yeah, just send me a message on there and check my inbox most days. So. Oh, wicked. Cool. Well, I wish you all the, the best of luck with the upcoming Open. Hopefully all that much. hard work, especially outside and all sorts, have come to fruition and uh, you get the results. Ease into the semi-finals. And hopefully all Fingers work. crossed. Thank you very much. No problem. Brilliant. Thank you, Karis. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Progress Theory. All of the details and links featured are in the show notes on our website, theprogresstheory.com. If you want to hear and see more, follow us on YouTube or Instagram. Just search The Progress Theory. And we'll see you in the next episode.